We're in the middle of a teaching series, um, Isaiah 61, the announcement of good news. Week by week, we've been reading this aloud together. So why don't we do that, even though we're scattered in our homes, whether you're watching this alone or with housemates or family, um, shall we actually read this aloud? I think more of it goes in when we actually um, speak it aloud. So let's read Isaiah 61. It's on the screen together. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities, that have been I devastated for generations. Fantastic. I know some of you didn't read that. I could just tell. But um, what a beautiful text. So this is the journey we've been on. This is the journey of Isaiah 61, if you like. It starts with the spirit of God being poured out. Damalona said this last week, when it comes to the anointing of God, the anointing is the power of God resting on the person of God to achieve the purposes of God. We see this throughout the Old Testament that God highlights someone, his power is placed upon them so that they can fulfill all that God has called them to. Whether it be David or Gideon or whoever else in the Old Testament, we see that. And yet there was a promise that one day God would anoint not just any old person, but a Messiah, an anointed king. And that king would come and he would proclaim good news to the poor. He would bind up the brokenhearted and he would set the captives free. And we know from Luke chapter four, um, as Jesus begins his ministry, he goes to the, the synagogue, he grabs the scroll of Isaiah, he reads from chapter 61, and he basically says, today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. The one you've been waited for, waiting for, an anointed king, hey, that is me, and I am here to proclaim good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, and set the captives free. And Isaiah 61, this prophecy basically said, when, when the Messiah comes and does those things, this this will be the sign. This will be the fruit of that ministry. He will bring about beauty instead of ashes. He will pour out the oil of gladness instead of mourning. He will wrap people in a garment of praise to replace a spirit of despair. And it will feel like a jubilee year, a time of celebration and freedom. Do you remember we looked at this, the Hebrew word for jubilee? It means ram's horn which is random, right? But a ram's horn, you would take the ram's horn and you would blow it like a trumpet blast and that would be the sound of freedom. You remember the story of the walls of Jericho coming down. They took the trumpet and when they blew the trumpet, the walls fell. The Latin word from which we get the word jubilee means a shout of joy. 
So again, what happened when the walls came down? They released a shout of joy. That was meant to be a ram's horn, but a shout of joy. And the walls came crumbling down. In other words, the sound of the trumpet, the sound of the shouts of joy, that is the sound of freedom. When the kingdom of God is at hand, you can hear the trumpet blast, the people shouting for joy. And it will feel like a funeral procession is turned into a wedding celebration. Lives and society at large will experience incredible transformation. Transformation. And when that happens, those that experience this transformation, they'll be pulled into the purposes of God and they'll begin to renew, rebuild and restore society. So whenever the spirit of God is poured out, you can expect the church to, to gain a greater measure of boldness, to proclaim good news, bind up the brokenhearted, set the captives free. What will be the impact? There'll be beauty instead of ashes, dancing instead of mourning, praise instead of despair. And then the church will be equipped to rebuild, restore and renew. Could it be? that this is a time as everything feels like it's being disrupted and dismantled, that the spirit of God would be poured out and we'd be equipped for this task of participating in the ministry of Jesus. So last week, Damalola looked at proclaiming good news and the impact of our proclamation, bringing beauty instead of ashes. Well, today I'm going to zoom in on Jesus's ministry of binding up the brokenhearted and leading people to rejoicing and celebration. So how does Jesus go about binding up the brokenhearted? Well, here's the key phrase then. It says in this prophecy of Isaiah 61, pointing towards Jesus, that he will comfort all who mourn and he'll provide for those who grieve. You know, the word mourning, the root word is death. We enter into mourning when we experience death and we experience loss. In this last six months, we've experienced a huge amount of loss. I know people watching this, people in our own family have lost loved ones in the last six months or so. I know people have lost jobs and they've lost a level of certainty and they've lost rhythms and they're living with financial uncertainty and relational uncertainty. Some have had to move out of the city. We've experience so much loss. Many of us feel right now that we are mourning and we are grieving all that we have lost. This feels like a really painful and fragile time in our lives. But when we turn to Jesus, what happens? We experience comfort and his provision. So let me just unpack these two words, comfort, provision. Firstly, then the word comfort. Now, it's a compound word. That means two words have been shoved together to form a new word. Com, meaning with, fort, from the, the verb fortis, meaning strength. So comfort means to be present with strength. Like this is the good news of the gospel. We're going to celebrate it in the Christmas story that we're getting ready for and um, for our online carol services, right? That we celebrate God isn't a distant deity. No, God takes on human flesh and he enters into the pain. That place where we are mourning, that place where we are grieving, he doesn't stand at a distance and, and reach down and say, I'm going to pull you out. No, he actually jumps into the pit and he is with us. God, Emmanuel, God with us. If this feels like a rough moment, if you are struggling mentally, emotionally, physically exhausted, can I encourage you? God isn't far off. He is with you. Even as you watch this live stream, God is with you in the midst of the pain, but he's more than just present. Here's the good news. He's present with 
strength. So you can be weak. You don't have to pull yourself together, put on a brave face and just get through the crisis. No, you can be weak because he is strong. This is why Paul says to the, in a letter to the Corinthians, he says, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. It's often in moments of weakness where we're like, I, I can't actually cope. Those are the moments where we tend to turn towards Jesus and we realize that he is strong. Maybe the testimony of Psalm 40 would become our testimony that God, you know, jumped into the pit with us. But then because he's strong to save, he lifts us up out of the mud and the mire and he puts our feet on solid ground and he puts a new song in our hearts. In other words, we can dance again. We can rejoice again because God was with us in the struggle and he was mighty to save. Present with Strength. God is present with you right now. You can be weak because he is strong. Paul says this, Philippians chapter four, he says, I can do all things, which sounds cocky, right? That's, that's pretty arrogant. But he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. When you realize that God is with you and he's more than just with you, he's with you with strength. That is a game changer. And there's a whole mindset shift of like, I can do all things, even in the midst of the struggle and the mourning and the grieving. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So I want to encourage you. God is present with strength. He is here to comfort us at this troubling time. But more than that, he provides for those who grieve. So provision is another compound word. And I know you're loving all these compound words. Two words shoved together to form a new word. Pro meaning before. Vision meaning to see, right? So provision means to see beforehand. One theologian put it like this, with God, prevision and provision are one and the same thing. Now, none of us have a clue what's happening right now. We don't know what tomorrow has in store for us, let alone next week, let alone Christmas. Are we going to be able to gather with our families, let alone the next year? Like we're living with such uncertainty. Well, here's the good news. God is present with strength, but he wants to provide. He knows what's coming in the next few weeks. Nothing's going to be a surprise to him. He's not waiting for an announcement from the prime minister. He knows everything that's to come. And because he can see beforehand, he makes provision for us. He's going to give us each day our daily bread. We don't even know what we need, but he does. So each day he'll give us like manna, bread from heaven. And sometimes we receive it like, is that really appropriate? Is that what I need? Like God knows what you need. If he's given it to you, it's because you need it for this season. One of the names of God in the Old Testament is Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah meaning God. Jireh is the Hebrew verb to see. Literally, it means God will see to it. God will see to it, right? So I often say this to, to my kids when they're in a moment of panic and they're struggling with their homework, like, Daddy, I can't do it. I'm like, it's all right. Daddy's here. Daddy will see to it, right? You know, if they've lost something, ah, I can't find, dot, dot, dot. Don't worry. Daddy's here. Daddy will see to it. They're getting bullied at school. I'm saying, kids, give me details, names, addresses. Daddy will see to it. Um, that's a half joke, right? But this is what parents do. They say, do not worry. Daddy, mummy will see to it. This is the name of God. It's the character of God. He says to his people, you do not need to be afraid. God will see to it. He can see ahead. He'll make provision for that which he sees so you can trust in him. So if you're freaking out right now, you know, I can't handle the uncertainty. Like, can I encourage you? Turn towards Jesus. He'll be present with strength. But more than that, he'll provide for all of your needs. Now, 
when you hit rock bottom and you turn to Jesus, and let's be honest, often we don't turn to Jesus, we turn to other things. But when you turn to Jesus and you experience his comfort and his provision, what happens next? Well, let me share three stories from Luke's gospel. This is Luke chapter 15. These are three stories of mourning to dancing. It's the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. All of them end with celebration. All of them are really about provision, like God seeing. He finds things that are lost. People are mourning what they've lost. He finds things because he can see daddy provides, right? So firstly, we're going to look at the story of the lost sheep. Now, this is a beautiful story. A shepherd loses a sheep, eventually finds it, and there's a celebration, right? This is a story. You can read it in your own time, Luke 15. There's poetry in it. It's deeply profound. But because I studied maths first time round, I'm a bit more of a mathematician. I've decided to put it in a table. Look at this table. Don't you love it? Oh, yeah, I know you're loving that. So because this story, this parable is allegorical, By that I mean every character in the story represents someone in the heavenly realm and represents someone in the earthly realm. So in verse 7, as Jesus tells this story, he basically says, well, the shepherd is like God finding a lost sinner. And when he finds a lost sinner, there's a party in heaven with the angels. So this story points to something happening in the heavenly realm. But it more than just points to something happening in the heavenly realm. It points to what Jesus is doing in his own ministry. So God finds lost sinners. Well, that's what Jesus is doing. He's seeking and saving the lost. And when he finds the sinners, there's a party, there's rejoicing as he hangs out with tax collectors and prostitutes and lepers and adulterers and outcasts. There is a celebration taking place. Something lost has been found. Second story, then the lost coin. Now, this is the story we tell less because the the sheep one's quite fun. The prodigal son stories, well, that's amazing. The coin one is like, let's just, you know, bypass that one. Well, this is actually really profound what's going on in this story. A woman loses a coin, freaks out. And when she finds it, there's a celebration with friends and neighbours. Now, the coin is more than just losing any old coin. In the first century, when women were about to get married, they'd have a dowry. That's the gift that you give to your future husband. And you'd wear this dowry as like a necklace or a headdress with coins upon it. Now, isn't Google unbelievable? You can search for anything in Google you will find. If you seek on Google, you will probably find. So I typed in first century lost coin woman dowry. Now look at this. How incredible is that? A photo from the first century of someone who experienced this very situation. I'm obviously half joking. But if you keep the image up for a little bit, you can see the square one top left. She's wearing her diary. What a beautiful necklace kind of headdress thing. Even her friends appreciating the beauty of it. Um, Picture number two, she loses a coin. Can you see the lost coin? Heartbreak. She doesn't even realise it. She does in picture number three. Um, She sees that there's a coin missing. She freaks out. And picture number four, she's searching. Well, there we go. Um, The point is, because she's missing a coin, um, her whole wedding's in jeopardy right now. She's thinking, gosh, we've agreed a dowry. I can't match that dowry anymore. She's frantically searching for the lost coin because she wants to get married, right? Now we can engage with the story. It's like losing an engagement ring or something like that. You would freak out because it's so precious to you. Now, I want you to hold on to the wedding theme, right? Because we're going to come back to the wedding theme. Final story then, um, which is the lost son. There's a father 
father who searches for a son and when he finds the son, in other words, the son went off, you probably know the story, to a far off land, squandered his inheritance, eventually returns, um, embraces with the father. There's a celebration with friends and neighbors. And that points to something happening in the heavenly realm as God finds sinners and there's a party with the angels which describes what Jesus is actually doing in his ministry he's partying with prostitutes and tax collectors and lepers and outcasts as people that were lost find a sense of home it's it's an amazing thing happening in this story but I want to highlight one verse from Luke 15 that I think is incredibly key here it is meanwhile The older son, that represents the Pharisees, by the way, those that can't handle this feasting, the whining and dining of Jesus. They find the grace of God a disgrace. They find it deeply offensive. So meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. This is the sound of the redeemed, right? This is the sound when the kingdom of God breaks in, where there was once mourning and grieving. Suddenly you can hear music and dancing. God turns everything around. And this is happening in the ministry of Jesus. And it's creating offense for the Pharisees. So listen to this, Luke 7, uh, verse 34. The son of man came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So the Pharisees can see this feasting they can see the dancing and they find it outrageous like how can this be happening right now we should be fasting as we wait for the messiah and jesus is basically saying don't you get it like i am the messiah it is party time it's wedding time uh, luke chapter 5 they said to him john's disciples often fast and pray and so do the disciples of the pharisees but yours go on eating and drinking jesus answered can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them now let me explain that last verse because it's pretty cryptic right so in the old testament at mount sinai God and Israel entered into this marriage, a covenant. And in this covenant, two became one. And basically, Israel could flourish and live in the favor of God, live under the blessing of God. But if you know the story, they turned their back on Yahweh God and they ended up in a far off land, in exile, in Babylon. So in the context of this story, they're back in their homeland. They're back in Jerusalem, but they're still not free. They're living under Roman oppression. And they're holding on to this promise that one day God will come as a husband and restore the covenant. So here's an example. This is the prophecy. There's many of these prophecies, but this is Hosea chapter two. In that day, declares the Lord, this is pointing forward to the moment when the the Messiah comes. You will call me my husband again. You will no longer call me my master. I will betroth you, which is fancy language for marry you to me forever. I'll betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I'll betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. So when Jesus says, look, when the bridegroom's here, you don't fast, like it's a wedding banquet. You dance, you feast, you get out the wine. It's celebration time. Jesus is basically saying, I am God in human form. Come as your husband to restore the covenant so you can live life fully. Stop being miserable. Like let the wine flow. This is party time. Like this is incredible. So I want to ask you the question. Can you hear the music and dancing? Can you hear the music and dancing when the kingdom of God is present? You can hear the music and the dancing. And here's here's the incredible thing. The people that experience transformation in the gospel stories, right? Like from the earthly perspective, they should still be in mourning. They should still be grieving. 
They are still in poverty. They are still, by society standards, considered outcasts, like rejected by society. They are part of a minority group living under oppression and persecution under sort of the, the oppression of the Roman Empire. You know, on human standards, they should be mourning, they should be fasting, they should be grieving. But here's the cool thing. They're not living according to the story of the world and the story of the culture. They've just heard about a new story that's breaking in upon them. And in that story, it's wedding time. Like their mourning has been transformed into to dancing. Their despair has become a reason for, for praise. They've experienced salvation. So they're spending time with Jesus, knocking back the wine, feasting on great food, and they are dancing. This will be a sign to the world that the kingdom of God is present in that in the midst of the morning, in the midst of the pain, people find Jesus. They experience his comfort present with strength. They experience his provision. And over time, he transforms the morning into dancing. That is incredible. They start living in a different story. And here's the other cool thing is they know their future hope. They know where this story is heading towards a new creation where there will be no more death, grief, crying, pain. They won't be outcasts in that story. They'll be front and center celebrating. And that story is about a wedding. If you've been reading bread, and this is a kind of journey we're on as a church, reading through the New Testament, we've got to Hebrews chapter six today. There's this beautiful verse in Hebrews six where it says, our hope is like an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. In other words, when you realize where our story is heading, you put your anchor down in the soil of the new creation. What's happening in the new creation? There's a wedding, right? When we arrive at eternity shore, where death is just a memory and tears are no more. We'll enter in as the wedding bells ring. Your bride will come together and we'll sing. You're beautiful. <laughs> la, da, 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 da. What a song. Anyway, the, the point is that is the hope of the Christian faith. There's a wedding to come. And when the kingdom of God is present, when the spirit is poured out, that wedding feast enters into the here and now, even in the midst of our pain our mourning and our grieving. So right now, we do lament all that we've lost. We do acknowledge that we are hurting, that we feel fragile, we've lost so much. And yet this is an opportunity to turn towards Jesus and realize he wants to be present and not just present, present with strength. And he wants to provide. He's seen what's coming. He'll make provision for that which he's seen. If we trust in God, it changes everything. And we can hold on to the promise that in the midst of our mourning, he's going to be at work transforming things. And what is to come is a season of dancing. It's a wedding feast available. So I want to land with a story of God doing just this in the life of an amazing woman. She'd experienced nine years being bedridden through ME, but she held on to this promise that one day she might dance again with her husband. She held on to this promise that God takes our mourning and turns into dancing. And she held on to this, that God could do that in her life. So cue the video and let's finish with this story. Hi, I'm Matt Hooper from Life Worship. And I want to tell you the story behind the song, Dance Again. Um, there's an incredible lady in our church called Amanda Varty. She'd been in our church for years. She was wrestling with a, a very debilitating illness called ME. And I'd just like to let her tell her story. When people meet me for the first time, they're slightly startled because the first thing they notice are the scars on my face. 
but what they don't see initially is all the healing that is laying behind those scars. there I was holding Steve's hand and we were praising God and as I did that this strength came into my body I sat upright and I remained sitting upright for an hour and a half and then I realized that I was holding my arms in the air in worship these were arms that couldn't normally lift a fork to my mouth there was an eight-month period where when I was in church the strength would come into my body but the moment I left church the strength would drain away and I am so glad I persevered because in April 2012 I went into church I was prayed for and I got out of my wheelchair and I walked <laughs> Literally, when we used to pray every day, we would picture that we would dance together. Dancing meant so much because it was everything that being bedbound wasn't. It was full of life and energy and joy. I managed to struggle to a worship service at church. And as I began to worship God, this amazing energy filled me. I pushed the walking frame aside and then I began to dance. When everything looks so hopeless, when it looks like this is going to be the rest of your life and what is happening right now feels unbearable. Just believe in a God who can turn any circumstance around. Now hope is a much easier thing because I've seen God come through. And so now when I believe for the scabs on my face to heal, then that is easier than it was in the early days because I know how faithful God is and I know that truly, truly nothing is impossible for him. So many of us, we live between the promise that God gave us and the realization of that promise. There's a big gap sometimes for us to live in. But what we do in that gap, our reasonable response ought to be praise. He never changes, he's always faithful. And we have to approach sovereign God with that mindset. When your heart is breaking, praise him.
what an incredible story of Jesus turning mourning into quite literal dancing, celebration, rejoicing. This is what God does when we allow God into the pain. He comforts us, present with strength. He provides for all of our needs. Yes, including physical healing. He's the one and the only one that can turn mourning into dancing.